Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Cultured or Not nah, Season 4. This is so amazing. Let me just take a second to thank you all for supporting me on this journey. I can't believe that we're here at Season 4. That means that by the end of this season, we'll have been about 40 episodes in together, which is just amazing to me because this podcast was sort of conceptualized during the pandemic and I wasn't sure how long I would continue it. But thank you all so much for continuously encouraging me, for providing great feedback on the podcast and giving me more reasons to come back and continue having conversations with you all. So with that, let's jump in. As I mentioned, this is Cultured or Not Season 4. I'm your host, Shabnam, and I'm the founder and executive producer of Cultured or Not. On this podcast, we're fans of desiness, mixing historical facts with some uncultured opinions. And today's topic is a little bit different. It's very topical for the moment that we're in, in American history. And I can't wait to jump in with you all. We aren't really talking about South Asian history or culture, but we're talking about something that's extremely topical, um, at least for me in the U.S. as an American citizen, um, as a woman, as a person, as a human. Um, we're talking about the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade and what this means for American women. Um, I have on with me a guest who is help, helping me to talk about this in an intelligent way um, because I alone would probably just spew a lot of emotional trauma at everyone. Um, and so I'm very glad to invite on Seema Iyer, who is a lawyer and journalist with Nextstar Queen City News based out of Charlotte. So welcome, Seema. Hi, Shavnam. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, I just want to call out that I saw Seema <laughs> on a segment of the news uh, on Queen City News. And I'm in New York, but I was doing so much research on what this uh, ruling means for us. And I saw Seema present very eloquently on a segment of the news. And I was like, okay, she's a brown woman. She seems very badass. I want to <laughs> her on to my podcast to talk about this topic. Um, and it really struck me, Seema, that you were both a yeah. and a journalist, because I, what I really wanted to talk about today was sort of the legal grounds and the legal argument sure. for how this can happen. So that's why I'm so glad, glad you responded to my email. I, I love that for us. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I love that for me. I was really <laughs> excited to hear from you. And yes, especially that you are a South Asian woman doing this and interested uh, in the the topic. And it has really been an intersection of law and journalism over the last week or so. Yeah, that that was so great of you to respond. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, I just want to hand it over to you. Uh, so Seema, please introduce yourself a bit more for our listeners. So I am a lawyer. I've been practicing for almost 25 years now, and I shifted full time to journalism uh, about four years ago. However, I am still licensed and practicing and uh my law license is from New York, but I've practiced uh, mostly uh, criminal law. I was a former prosecutor, criminal defense attorney. I worked for the NYPD. I have done both civil and criminal, state and federal. And I've also practiced in different states across the country. A lot of your legal listeners will probably know something called Pro Hoc Vice, and that's when you can get admitted on a case-by-case -case basis in other states. So that has been the 
breadth of my experience law-wise. And uh, when it comes to journalism, I was in New York really doing a lot more like legal analyst type of work on uh, cable news and uh, some radio. And then I just decided to try journalism full time. And I'm very fortunate in my current position at Queen City News in Charlotte in that I get to do things like go on television during breaking news like Roe versus Wade. And uh, it was definitely probably the highlight of my career and my life thus far, being able to be a tiny part of history and report on it. And, you know, the cameras went on and it was before I clicked on the decision. So I was reading the 213 page decision while our incredible anchors, uh, and Wyatt Little and Jason Harper were asking me questions and all of us were in disbelief and we were all trying to get through it. And it was just a an incredible example of the uh, importance of breaking news and in the importance of telling the public what's going on in real time when yeah. you're discovering it yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a, that's a good like little segue into me just clocking this moment. Right. I think I, I am just clocking that it is June 30th. We are recording this officially on 4th of July weekend. Uh, when this podcast airs, it'll be after 4th of July, like right after. And I think I have been angry at our country many times, <laughs> frankly, since 2016. I think it's like, it's been like a nonstop, like visceral anger, I think on my part. But I think the first time I've ever even considered um, sort of just an unsubscribe button completely from the country is like this 4th of July where like a friend texted me, like I live in New York and a friend texted me being like, are we going to go watch the parade on whenever it is Sunday, Monday, probably Monday. And I think like the first thing I thought of was like, ew, why would I do that? I feel like I just like don't want to associate with the country right now. Right. I'm so over it. And and I I think it's nice that, you and I are speaking because I feel that uh, you do, uh, you have clearly your feelings about it and your opinions, as do I. But I also think that if I'm able to explain a little bit more about the decision, yeah, um, it, because in a way I am removed from it. Like I, I may have my feelings and I think in the very beginning when we first went on the news after the decision uh, was published, I did have a, an emotional reaction, uh, but I think also more so just because of the gravity of what was happening. I, I was in disbelief that was it was actually overturned. Uh, so do you want me to get a little bit into yes. that? Yes. Yeah. So, and I think there's a few misconceptions about how this happened. So That's amazing. Yeah. So actually I would love, then that was going to be my first question for you. I would love if you can explain a little bit about what the legal argument is to get it overturned. But also, I don't think a lot of us have specific context on the events leading up to the overturning. So if you want to sort of start there with like, what is the case that was brought forward that could allow the Supreme Court to have a case to sort of like overturn it? And what is the legal argument? That would be great. Okay. So what the events that led up to it, let's start off with that. The events that led up to it has been 
and I remember this from being on cable news, I would say 2013, 2014, is that there's been arguments of the chipping away of the protection surrounding abortion. When I mean chipping away, I'm saying access. I am talking about this idea of creating burdens to getting abortions. Now, where you are in New York, I was in New York. I had a Planned Parenthood three blocks from where I lived in Lincoln, you know, around Lincoln Center. But there are women across this country who have to travel hundreds of miles uh, to get an abortion. Uh, they don't have health insurance. They work two jobs, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this was the argument that started 10 years ago about certain women not having access to abortion. And that is that those are one of the events that lead up to where we are now. Now, fast forward, when there was a change <laughs> in the Oval Office and 2016 clearly changed everything because you had a Republican president who was going to put more conservatives on the court and abortion has been an issue for conservatives. So we had some notice of this, that with a change in the majority of justices on the Supreme Court, there was a likelihood that abortion, A, could be overturned, but more likely, more people thought it would just be chipped away. Okay, so that is what we were expecting. Now, how do you chip this away? Two ways. Number one, you have this idea of the viability line, okay? The original Roe versus Wade from 1973 had the line of viability at 28 weeks. They're saying, okay, this is when, um, you know, that's like, it. Ha if you're going to have an abortion, it's got to be before 28 weeks because 28 weeks is too late, right? But then because of science and medicine and case law, that 28 weeks actually changed to 22 to 24 weeks, that became the, the viability line. So that's one issue of where you can chip away. The other issue is what Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and that's the 1992 case that affirmed Roe versus Wade. And we're going to talk about that because I think you're going to find some stuff pretty illuminating. Although I know you've gone deep dive into this, so you probably know all this anyway. But uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, they upheld abortion, but on different grounds. What Casey said was, the states, you cannot impose undue burdens on women to getting an abortion, right? So we're talking about the access, the geography, the getting the doctors available, those type of burdens. And, and I'm, I'm, this is my interpretive of what a burden is. This decision, this Dobbs versus Jackson, specifically says the problem with Casey was that Casey called for undue burdens being eliminated, but never defined what an undue burden was. They never said, well, what's a due burden versus an undue burden? This court, this majority opinion by Justice Alito also specifically said Roe versus Wade had an argument about viability, but never told us what is viability. So a lot of this argument, what we're dealing with now in the Alito 
decision is that they're saying we have upheld these two cases for so long, but both of these cases, Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, is flimsy. Their arguments are just too light. We can't rely on them. So just to ask a question about that, um, I thought... I thought Roe versus Wade had the 28 week stipulation, but are you saying that that was not officially in the case? It was more like a line of viability was referenced to in the case, but that was not explicitly um, argued. No, 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 it was. So the, yeah, okay. 28 weeks, but I'm saying the, the good news is that things progressed in terms of science and medicine and, w- and then the interpretation was more like, oh, 23 weeks, 22 weeks, 24 weeks. Um, which is what allowed for Dobbs versus Jackson to even get in the door because Dobbs versus Jackson is saying, well, wait a minute, we want, you know, our data says 15 weeks should be the line. So 15 weeks should be the viability line. That's what Dobbs versus Jackson wanted. Dobbs versus Jackson, because, and this is also super interesting, Dobbs versus Jackson went in there saying, okay, you know what, we want our abortion ban to be drawn at 15 weeks. However, that was just brought to the Supreme Court. That's the case. Yeah, that's the decision. That's the like everybody. The overturning of Roe versus Wade is really the Dobbs versus Jackson decision. That that was for the Missouri Clinic, right? Mississippi. Sorry, Miss. I always get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So um, but here's the fascinating part of this. Okay, so when you write a legal brief, and even if you go to court, like I'm talking rinky-dink state court in the middle of nowhere, if the judge asks you a question and you say something else, any judge is going to yell at you. They're going to be like, Miss Iyer, I didn't ask you about um, overturning Roe versus Wade. I asked you about your argument on the 15-week viability. I mean, you will get yelled at, but these, uh, the side of the Mississippi the Jackson Clinic, they were so nervy that when I and I and I want to get this right. I think like what they they when they saw Amy Coney Barrett um, get on the court, they decided instead of just asking for what they wanted, which was the 15 week ban, they were like, you know what, I'm going to throw a Hail Mary and I'm going to ask for you to overturn Roe versus Wade, thinking like, what the hell? You know, like, why not? Let me just ask for it. Let's see if I get it. And they got it. But, but you see my point. This was so like out of control that the petitioners knew that this court was so hell bent on changing the laws surrounding abortion that they asked for something that wasn't even on the table. And you're not supposed to do that in any court of law. You, like the, the courts are really specific. Like what is the question you want answered? That's what you have to argue. You don't argue everything under the sun, but they did. And then they got it. That's, that's pretty crazy though. I mean, like, I, I think what maybe that's why this was so surprising, right? So when the, the brief was first leaked um, or the decision was first leaked. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All of social media, everyone I know was talking about it. And I think a lot of us just didn't, I mean, I, maybe I was naive. I was like, I don't think that's actually going to happen. Like that seems so out of left field. I didn't think so. 
You did think uh, so. I no, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, for some reason, I couldn't get it into my head yeah. that it was going to be real. And so when I saw it, like, you know, I... I was waiting in front of the federal courthouse because I thought it was going to come down. And so I had my um, videographer with me, you know, we were ready to go. And then when I saw it, I said, this cannot actually be real because it's really, it's important to understand. And this is what Chief Justice Roberts wanted. He wanted to uphold the 15 week band. So yeah. this there were these were the three choices, right? The right. choices were overturn Roe versus Wade, make abortion up to the states. I mean, the whole idea is like, you're not really making it illegal. You're just putting the power in the state. So that's, a, that's door number one. Door number two is the 15 week viability line. You give, you know, Dobbs versus Jackson, like you find in favor for that 15 week. And that's what Robert said. Robert said, listen, we'll find, we'll do this, but we're not going to overturn Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And then of course, the other one is no, you, you know, don't keep things the way they are, right? Yeah. Um, reaffirm Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So that that's also so that's why another another conversation people are having is, you know, was it a five to four decision or was it six to three? Because and oh, that's the other, and I'm sure you heard this is that after the decision was leaked, uh, you know, allegedly Chief Justice Roberts had been trying to get Kavanaugh and Barrett to go with him and just uphold the 15-week Mississippi ban instead of overturning Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Yeah, I did hear about this, but I think this is what, to me, gets very confusing. And I'm sure if it's confusing to me, it's confusing to a lot of people. And and based on what you're saying, I think what I'm still not fully grasping, and, and maybe this is why it's shocking to you as well, is that if they came in with this stipulation that 15 weeks should be the limit, um, A, was the question that it should be the limit like federally, like nationally? Because I think like, again, if the argument is that the power should be within the states to decide, Mississippi should just have its own 15 weeks like regulation, but that shouldn't apply to everyone else. Right. I think I'm a little confused about like where this whole, the power rests in the hands of the States came in. Cause to me, I'm like, if your argument is only now, okay, only now, because before, okay. So the law of the land was abortion was allowed. Mm -hmm. Abortion was legal. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was based on, Roe versus Wade and then Planned Parenthood versus Casey affirming Roe versus Wade. So abortion has been the law of the land full stop for 50 years. Now the law is it's up to the states. Yes. But where did that come in? Because if the if the because case of, of Dobbs versus Jackson was to say that 15 weeks should be enough, I think what I don't get. No, is they got that- more than they asked for. They got like they got like a, like a like a bonus. Like, you know, but yeah, it's just literally like, oh, you know how you go to the store and you buy a a loaf of bread and they give you a free gallon of milk. Welcome to the United States of America. So I mean, that's really it. I mean, this is it. Did they they expressly ask for Roe versus Wade to get overturned? Yes. That's what I was trying to tell you before. They weren't supposed to. You're only supposed to ask a court to rule in favor of the law before that court. The only thing that was in front of the Supreme Court was the 15-week 
abortion ban. That was it. But because they went rogue, I mean, they really went rogue. They were like, screw this. We know this this court is on our side and they're willing to overturn a Roe v. Wade. So we're going to ask for that. So but also, wait, I'm sorry. It's also important to r- realize that the Supreme Court can do what it what it wants, even if it's not on the table. So even if I ask for A, B, and C, their decision could say, well, we're also going to give you D or we're going to take away F. Does yeah. that make sense? No, that makes sense. Um, I think one thing that I was thinking about actually, and again, you're the legal expert here. So let me know if my line of thinking is correct. I think the one thing that this whole fiasco, for lack of a better word, um, made me consider was that I think we've had a filibuster from the Senate on the topic of abortion in that it hasn't been a constitutional amendment for like the last like 50 years. Right. So I think it's one of those things where like I think encapsulated within the right of privacy was like why like abortion was implicitly suggested. How big of a I guess like it to me, it seems like a very big reason for why this whole exists, because I feel like if I look at the Constitution, there's no such right as a exactly right to bodily autonomy or anything like that in the Constitution. Okay, that's a great point. So here's the deal. And I'm going to compare it to the decision that came out the day before the abortion was the New York case on Second Amendment, right to bear arms, blah, blah, blah. Okay. That case was rooted in an amendment that specifically addresses guns, the right to bear arms. Okay. So there it's like you have this right and it's specifically connected to a constitutional amendment. The problem with abortion is number one, it is not in the constitution. So every time, and this is my problem watching the any news, you know, any news, um, I have more control over this news room than I do, let's say cable, but in cable or even in the radio, it's like, oh, the overturning of the constitutional right to an abortion. There is technically, I'm sorry, there is no constitutional right. It's not the constitution. Now you don't have to have something explicitly stated in the constitution to have that right. Okay. But it is easier when you can, you know, conceal, carry, blah, 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 is connected to words, you know, precise words, precise language. The problem with abortion is, and this was Roe versus Wade was relying on the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, and then I don't know if it's in Roe versus Wade, but somebody made the argument of the Ninth Amendment. The Ninth Amendment, no one ever talks about the Ninth Amendment. Nobody knows about the Ninth Amendment. The Ninth Amendment is basically like a catch-all. And it, I and it, the Ninth I think Amendment it, was the one that was like, if the rights aren't like, yeah, that's it. They belong to the states, right? You got it. That's, that's it. what we that's learned exactly. in school anyway, for right. this one original <laughs> Bill of Rights. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's a lot of people. So that's where they were getting this right to privacy. Um, and the fact that abortion is in the Ninth Amendment, like your catch-all. Okay. See, okay, so that was Roe v. Wade. Casey said the right to an abortion comes from the 14th Amendment, this idea of not being able to take someone's liberty away, someone's freedom away without due process. Now, and then there's another argument, which I don't think has ever been made, and that is equal protection under the law, that we all deserve, you know, we all have a right to equal protection under the law. So that's without you know, that's also connected to due process. But the bottom line is there were way too many amendments people were relying on for their constitutional argument. 
I mean, yes. Like, if, I, obviously, at the end of the day, it comes down to manipulating words and, like, manipulating the argument or, like, well, like. Well, okay, so I'm going to, let me read you something here. Um, so, you know, in the Alito opinion, they basically poked holes in Roe in Ro and Casey. Yeah. So, okay. So they're saying, listen, Roe created this whole trimester thing, but when it, when it came time for Planned Parenthood versus Casey and the court had to revisit Roe, um, it, it, there was a three-way split with the court. Two justices had no reason to change Roe whatsoever. Four others wanted to overrule Roe in its entirety. Okay, a lot of people don't talk about that. Four is a lot. And the three remaining justices who signed the controlling opinion, they said their opinion did not endorse Roe's reasoning and even hinted that one of the authors may have some reservations. And the only reason it seems like they did uphold Roe versus Wade was because of stare decisis. And that is precedent. So it does, it does have some merit that Justice Alito found flaws with this, these line of cases because the reasoning wasn't very strong. You know, I mean, because people are saying now, oh, stare decisis or precedent, it's meaningless, it's meaningless. It's not meaningless. And he does address this. He, he addresses um, Brown versus Board of Education. You know, he addresses other cases like similarly where you just don't rely on precedent because it's wrong. And in this type of case, they found viability to be a weak argument. Only not that it's not not that it's not a strong argument scientifically or medically is that the courts didn't make a strong enough argument. Okay, but I think maybe like my confusion stems from the fact that um, and I was talking to a friend about this uh, and and like they were talking about how in Europe, um, the question of whether or not abortion is on the table was never asked. The question was just at what point is it not on the table as in like at what point just I guess like is it no longer viable or is it no longer okay to have an abortion I feel like right now what where my confusion is at least is that I are we were we asking the wrong question like should it have always just been a question of time like at what point should you no longer be allowed to get an abortion versus like no we can't rely on this at all hence like the the right belongs to the states I think I get confused as to like why we're suddenly talking about the state gets to decide and outright ban abortion versus like the state maybe should get to decide what level, like, is it 22 weeks? Is it 15 weeks, et cetera. But like, why is it that they get to like outright ban? Because that's a conservative principle because I think letting the states decide goes back to, and this is my opinion. I mean, I'm more of a legal expert than a politics, but it seems like that's what the conservative court would rather just let the states handle it. Less government, I mean, sorry, less power in the federal government and let, let it be up to the states. And in your, in what you're saying is that whole idea of um, who gets to decide or what the viability line is in Mississippi, clearly they thought they had the science and medicine to back viability at 15 weeks right they 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 made that decision whereas okay so i'm in i our um our viewing area is south and north carolina south carolina 
is drawing the line at a heartbeat. Okay, at a heartbeat, which is usually six weeks. What's the problem with that? Some women, most women don't even know they're pregnant until after six weeks. So the minute a heartbeat can be detected, that's it. You're out of luck. So, and that's where we're at now. I, I mean, you know, you know about the trigger bands. It was like 13 trigger bands. Some have gone into it. I mean, the whole country, one week later, as we sit and talk today, the whole country is a mess because there are so many states where, you know, the trigger bands got into effect and then there's lawsuits and there's injunctions or there was like Tennessee where it was supposed to go into effect in 30 days. They have like a 30 day lag period. But then there was a federal court that got involved and it went in right away. So last weekend, everybody was scrambling to get abortions and what what have you. So it's it's and then, of course, you're going to see people traveling state lines across state lines to get abortions. Uh, but the bottom line is to your question about this viability. We can't agree on a universal a universal and by universal, I mean, United States of America viability line, which is why they're just in a way punting it to the states, which yeah. also goes back to their conservative principles. So, yeah, so I guess if I were to summarize my understanding of, of what happened here, I think what I'm getting is that, um, like you mentioned, there has always been a chipping away of like sort of like questioning the principles of Roe versus Wade for a long time. And a lot of that questioning has come down to the time, actually, of like when it should be allowed. Um, and I think like what I'm getting here is that because so many different amendments were referenced between Roe and Casey, um, I think that created like all these different like ways that maybe the legal argument can be not as strong. Um, and so when Dobbs versus Jackson was brought in front of this court again, I think like the court was able to decide that the underlying legal arguments in the first place just weren't as strong for some of these cases. Um, and then they punted that right back to the, the states to sort of like decide what they want to do. Again, taking a bit of a conservative approach here, because I think conservatives always argue for more rights within the states versus like the federal government. Is that all correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't change my emotional uh, reaction. I think I think understanding yeah. it better. It's like, it's still like a, I think it's like, you've made it made sense to some degree, but I'm still like, make it make sense. <laughs> yeah, no. Good. And I, and I think also it's because <sighs> I, I think just as a lawyer, you're so numb to, like I told you, when I was on camera, I, I mean, I was on camera, I had a visceral emotional reaction. My boss was like, oh, I saw, you know, and I'm like, it was like, okay, get snap out of it. But I also don't know if it was just the history that was getting to me. But the, but the point is, um, I think that it's like you have your emotional reaction and then you step back and most lawyers are like this. We're just able to like read and just interpret and see and try to make some sense of, of how they got there. But I think this is the problem with the law. I'll be honest with you. 
there is nothing a lawyer can't argue themselves out of. Well, that's that. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like that's that. That's actually, yes, a hundred percent. Offensively, when I was like, oh my oh, gosh, no, not at all. I mean, argument. I, I no. even at work, like I work at a corporate, but a lot of times when we want to get out of something, I think we'll just like talk to our legal team and be like, what do you think about this? And they'll find exactly. a way to be like, the easiest, right? Because you yeah. already have the conclusion. Like, okay, yeah. so I already, I know if I, I am yeah, a conservative justice, yeah. exactly. You work backwards. If I'm a conservative justice, you know, I want to overturn abortion. How do I get there? And then you find the evidence. Yeah, I think I think it's I, like I've seen lawyers at work do this for a long time at a variety of companies that I've worked at. And honestly, sometimes I'm like, I am so impressed that you managed to twist these words to mean what they should mean that benefits us versus like. But, but no, you know, but it's also because there's always case law to find. Support. There's always case law to find. Yeah, <sighs> I think I think it's like very, very interesting. Um, But I mean, in, in a sad way. But I, I think like the the other thing that that I wanted to ask you about is that. One of the things that I've been thinking is that, um, okay, this is a lot of the reading that I've been doing, right? And similar in a similar vein to what you just said, like when you're a lawyer and when you've been looking at something for a long time, you reach the conclusion that you want and you work backwards. I watched several interviews um, just because I went down this rabbit hole of trying to m understand what happened and make it make sense for myself. And one of the things that I stumbled upon was, have you heard of someone named James Bopp? Oh, Wait a minute. I well, I saw him argue. He's from Indiana. He's from, I think. Yes, I just yes. I saw him. I saw him argue with the Court of Appeals a few months ago. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, you know I know him. Yeah, yeah. So um, very old guy. <laughs> it's like he's from like Terre Haute, Indiana. I watched. Yeah, so yeah. No, he he. Wait, that. but you know, you know, he represented Madison Cawthorn. Yeah, you know the famous Madison Cawthorn, and he also represents Marjorie Taylor Greene. Okay. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's oh quite well known, yeah, Trump's supporter. No, Bop is a, he's a great lawyer. Yeah, well, yeah. So I think like that was the thing. Like I actually, despite myself, I've been very impressed with those efforts. <laughs> I've been impressed with the whole trajectory here because I watched several interviews with him where he said that ever since he was in law school, which was like, I don't know, like right when Casey, uh, sorry, right when Roe was first out, <laughs> right? Like, right yeah. when out. And he said yeah. like he was in law school. And so I think he was in his early 20s when Roe was first passed. Um, and so I think like he said that he was very affected by, by the decision and his dad is a doctor, uh, clearly he comes from a very educated family. Like his dad mm -hmm. is a doctor. He's not like even what you normally think of when you think of like an extremely conservative person from like a random middle America state, he seems extremely well educated. His family is very educated, has the means. And I think like what he was saying was that his dad was a doctor and all of them agreed that life starts at conception. And so um, it's biologically true. Hence, he was really like offended when Roe came out and he made it his life's mission to get it overturned. And I'm kind oh, of- Oh, I didn't like, know that. Yeah, like apparently this was his whole life's mission. And and I'm so impressed. Oh. I'm like, wow, well done, James. Took you like 50 years. You got what you wanted. But I didn't even know that he was on this. That's amazing. He's He's been like indirectly- involved with a bunch of different abortion cases and he's really? been part of that tipping away effort that you've been talking about right and uh, yeah so, like in, wow. in in another interview um with someone that works at the susan b anthony center for women's rights 
weirdly, like they were anti-abortion as well, despite what the name would suggest. Um, they're like very pro, pro-life. pro I hate that term now. I hate the term pro-life because I think it's a misnomer. Anyway, um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're a pro-life clinic like or nonprofit. And they, like the woman was specifically saying, I forget her name, but she's like, the strategy was very simple. You can write it out in three sentences. It was just going to take a long time, but the strategy is continue to get politicians elected that were anti-abortion, get enough of these politicians elected that they would have some sway over the Supreme Court justices and get enough justices on the Supreme Court that were pro-life. And at the end of the day, just have to find the right case to bring before the Supreme Court to get it overturned. And she's like, the strategy was really simple. We wrote it out in three sentences. We've been working on it for a very long time. So it took them like 50 years, but it happened less than 50, 49. They did it in a, in a good amount of time. In one person's lifetime, this could, this got overturned, right? So that's that's pretty crazy that in a, in a lifespan, this, all of this was able to happen. And it's largely because people that actually were around for Roe were like, no, we need to get this changed around. And they were able to do that before they die, which which I think is commendable in its own way of like, how did you do Like that? ambition, yeah. Yeah, just the ambition the, right. needs to be right. but, <laughs> but also, I don't think... I don't think it was Donald Trump's ambition to get any of this done. I think his, his ambition was to find the right, these activist lawyer types, et cetera, uh, or activist judges, or just to win. Like he knew what it took to win, and this was the game plan, right? So it worked. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And, and I think the fact that it worked is- It is shocking. Little- it's shocking, but I think like more than it's shocking, it's, it's, it's a bit, it's a little bit, for lack of a better word, unfair. Cause I think if you look at the, the pure statistics of it, I think it, it, it's actually the inverse of a democracy that it worked. Right. Because I think like we were just talking about this before I officially hit record. When you look at the polling, I read that 85% of Americans agree that abortion should be allowed in some or all cases. Some yeah. All. So let me look at this. And I am looking at, is it Brookings? Yeah. I'm looking at data from Brookings and it said um, 25 to 35% of Americans think that abortion should always be legal. 10 to 15% think it should never be legal and the remaining 50 to 65% are split between those who think it should be mostly legal with some exceptions and mostly illegal with exceptions. So, and then I saw another poll. uh, Let's see. That, I, think, I think if you what, add that up, Seema, to me, that still reads the same, which is that 85% of people, at least, if not 90, given we're on the 10 to 15%, people think it should always be illegal. But that means 85% of people think it should be legal in some or all cases. So obviously, it comes yeah. down to, like, I think with some people, it's more about those exceptions. And I know the exceptions are medically related, or like in the case of rape or incest. But I think what what I'm getting at here is that that if such a high majority of people think that there are cases where abortion should be allowed, what I'm very shocked by is that we've let a very small minority of our country 10%, 15% dictate the lives of the rest of us, because like now in 26 states, like you mentioned, those trigger bans went into effect. So in 26 states, it's pretty much 
illegal now, right? And so like that's that's pretty crazy. Well, and well, sure, well, right. there's there's like there's some nuance there. It's not like it's yes. fully, fully illegal right, right. in all 26 states. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina it, does allow for the exceptions. Some places yeah. don't allow for the exceptions. So I just don't. want I just wanted to to get this here. And this is from PBS. So before this was after the draft opinion, mm-hmm. um, before the decision last Friday, uh, 64% of Americans do not want to see Supreme Court overturn Roe versus Wade. 60, so we were at 64% after the draft opinion before. Uh, Which means 36%, 36% is not that high in terms of- No, it's not that high, but at the same- Right, yeah. but at the same time, I think there's just other factors. Like number number one, you know, you you don't know how on the Supreme Court, right? You don't know how influential one justice is over others. So mm-hmm. even though chief, he's the chief justice, but he's clearly losing the reins here. I mean, he needs to get control of his people, but he's the chief justice, but he could not get anyone his side, right? He couldn't Robert, get anyone yeah. on. Right. So if he got anybody, if he got enough people on his side, then we would have seen... Um, you know, the viability line being changed, but Roe still being in place, just that, that one facet being changed to the 15 weeks, right? That's what we would have seen. Um, So the Mrs., you know, Mississippi would have been able to uphold their abortion ban. Now it would have been bad. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been bad because that abortion line would have been diminished, but the law of the land somewhat still stays in place that abortion's legal, but it has to be 15 weeks. Okay, fine. So, but, but my point is we don't know how influential somebody like Clarence Thomas is over Kavanaugh and Barrett. We don't right. know the inner workings. A fundamental flaw in our. In oh our yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, hundred percent. I'm saying, right. But I'm, I'm just saying like, that's why you can't say, Oh, 36% of the people did this. No, it's, nine people who did this, you know, or six people or five people. Like, like you just, what I'm saying is there's, I think there's a lot more nuance to this than just saying it's them against us. Number, number one. And number two is that there is something to be said for this, like the bulk of the decision. uh, I think Alito's part was a hundred pages or 108 pages, 116 pages. So a lot of it is a lot of like history that has nothing to do with anything, but he does. Ex- I mean, he is exciting to cases. He is saying what happened in Planned Parenthood versus Casey is that it was a three-way split. It wasn't like a lock and load. Yeah, we're, we're going to support Roe versus Wade. It wasn't. It wasn't a slam dunk. I mean, there yeah. was, there, there were some flaws here and, and it's, he's not making it up that it's not, strongly rooted in a constitutional amendment. There are flaws with this reasoning. So I I don't think you can, you know, I don't think it's all or nothing. I don't think it's just an activist court. I don't think it's just a conservative principle. I don't think it's just the law that's backing them up. I think it's a confluence of factors. That has led oh, to this I completely happening. agree with you. I think what the point that I was making with the 36% was actually more so like pretty much what you said. It comes down to nine people. And so I guess I, I, I'm just wondering, like, th- like the, the next question was going to be what systemically needs to change to help to help like these institutions yeah. we've put in place actually reflect 
the majority opinion, right? Because it's very, it's an oversimplification to think that democracy means that a majority will get their way or like it depends on what the majority is. And like technically we're a democracy, but I think a lot of the institutions we've put in place, such as the Supreme Court system, such as electoral college, don't actually always reflect well, what the okay. opinion says. All right. So, and I think you'll appreciate this because we talked about the 2016 and, and how it's affected you, but <laughs> okay. If you want to change things, people have to vote. People have to show up at the polls, number one. That's part of it. The other part of it is that we need Congress, right? Like, we need Congress to act. We need yes, exactly. them. The they are question. the ones who make the laws. They yeah. need to make, if this is what the majority wants, if this is truly what 64% of the American public wanted, and that was to not see the Supreme Court overturn Roe versus Wade after the draft opinion came out, just so your listeners have a timeline, people, there, there needs to be a universal law that allows for abortion. But I guess I'm just wondering, like, does the game need to change a little bit? Like, do we need to- Yeah, well, now we have bigger problems, right? Like, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think abortion is a much bigger issue. Well, that's like, what I mean. Right I now, think a lot of these systemic yeah, but, things have, have let us down, right? Like, with the fact that, like, nine people can decide the lives of, like, so many people, does, is that something that we need to consider as a society and be like, should we make some systemic change here? Yes, but I think, okay- I think that there is just no time to worry about the Supreme Court changing, you know, whether there's nine justices or uh, what was, you know, getting rid of the electoral college system. I think like right now, what's in front of us, the, the economy, the economy is out of control, inflation, gas prices, people are really, really hurting. That's an immediate problem. Monkeypox could be taken over COVID. That's an immediate problem. These immediate problems have to be addressed. And abortion now has become an immediate problem because it is going, this situation is going to hurt healthcare. It's going to hurt women's healthcare. It's going to hurt the economy because women who have, you know, women like me, like if I need an abortion, I could get the day off from work. I could travel. I could do whatever I want. No problem. But if I had two jobs and four kids at home and I needed to get an abortion because I couldn't afford one, I wouldn't be able to get the day off work. Would yeah. I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So let's so, talk a little bit about the economic impact of this decision. I think like that's something that, you know, I'm curious about, which is like, what does this mean for us? given like the things you just mentioned, the economy isn't in the greatest place. I think I read somewhere that um, between 1973 and 2011, 53 million abortions were conducted that we know of. So let's extrapolate that number to 2022 to be more like 65, 70 million. That means like there would have been 70 million at least additional people in the in the population. And that's not even something that you can like discount. Like, I mean, let's let oh, you're right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Like there, the number could have actually been higher or, or even lower because like uh, on some level, the fact that there is an abortion may mean that people like this is the conservative argument are a bit more careless uh, in like I guess, like how they go about their business. Um, But either way, let's just take that number at pure face value and say, can our economy support 70 million additional people in the population? Because we already know access to childcare for a lot of the community isn't the greatest. I think like we don't have universal healthcare like other countries do. We don't have a lot of these resources. And the other thing that I guess I'm just curious about is that we know that this is going to disproportionately affect minority women. Um, And so we know it's going to affect Black 
black and brown communities the most. And so given that a lot of times, like it's affecting people that are not in as privileged communities anyway, socioeconomically, what does that mean for the economy and, and the effect it's going to have on our general population? Well, I think the immediate effect is that there are going to be clinics like such as in Illinois, you know, Illinois is becoming like a hotbed of where people can go. They're going to be overrun. Right. Uh, And I think so on one hand, you have more women who are just not going to be able to get abortion. So you're just producing more children, putting a further strain on the economy. But then you also have abortion clinics that are going to be overrun and they may just be women's healthcare clinics. Right. So there are going to be women who aren't going to be get be able to get their regular health care needs met because of the immediacy of this influx of abortions. And I think there are going to be more prosecutions for illegal abortions. I think they're not just the women, but perhaps people, I mean, there could be abortion, you know, whether not people are saying there could be prosecutions of like the Uber driver or the doctors. There could be more back alley abortions. People say there won't be. I think there will be. I don't know why people keep saying there won't be. I think, listen, there were doctors who got on the um, opioid bandwagon and started, you know, these pain clinics and they were prosecuted. I think it could be very much the same thing with abortions. If there's a doctor out there who can be making bank off giving abortions, why wouldn't he or she? Yeah, yeah. That's a possibility. And what happens then? If there, you know, something goes wrong, you don't have any recourse because you just had an illegal abortion. And you, you know, we, we could see a lot more people suffering. The amount of suffering that's going to trickle down from this decision is immeasurable at this point. Yeah, I think I think the the other I think this is like this is this is just the work. I think this is <laughs> this is not as bad as COVID, but it's pretty bad. I think it's going to be No, I agree. It's bad. I mean, every facet of our life is going to be affected just like COVID I agree. affected it. Well, that that's yeah. what I mean. I think I think people just aren't thinking or at least oh. I don't know. I just I just don't know if if people have fully been able to grasp that it is going to affect <gasps> oh, every facet yeah, of our life. And, we did. Um, we were on uh, Charlotte's NPR last week talking about this, and I said, people think like, okay, so number one, there's people who are like, oh, it doesn't affect me. Yes, it does affect you. Like, if you have a doctor, if you're human, it affects you. It's going to affect you somehow, and and even men. I mean, that's what I'm. The, the, my point is, when certain healthcare systems are overloaded, others will fall. Others will be will suffer. When one part of the economy you know, rises, another part could fall. Everything has this domino effect. And I think abortion is going to be one of them. And and like I said, even the justice system is going to be going to, there's going to be some effect. Yeah, that makes sense. So now let's talk a little bit about how do we fix this? What's the recourse? The you have to vote. Well, the immediate, I mean, that's it. Yeah. Uh, well, I would think like more like logistically, I think the, the immediate change that needs to happen is, law right like there has to be a law passed by the by congress that allows for abortions to happen which means right that's why you have to get to the polls yes you have to vote hit the polls we need to vote for uh pro-choice candidates 
like basically the reverse strategy of what got this uh, overturn in the first place. Like we need to like vote for enough people that are pro-life that are actually going to fight for this. And I mean, listen, I hope, I hope, I hope that will happen because I feel, and this is just like as an outside observer is that when it comes to these type of issues, these, these, these issues like social issues where there is such a visceral reaction Republicans tended to work harder than Democrats. Mm-hmm. So I hope, I hope this is like flipped a switch on. Like people took it for granted that Hillary was going to win. <laughs> As did I. As did I. So now, I mean, how long, how many things like this have to happen before we stop taking things for granted? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it is depressing, but I feel like these are all the questions that I had for you. I, I mean, I hope I clarified some stuff. <laughs> no, you definitely did. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to cover um, on this episode? Um, oh, yeah. You know what? This, the, the, the last thing I just wanted to mention, <laughs> more depressing news, and that is uh, I think everyone's read Everyone's heard at least about the dissent, the Clarence Thomas dissent, where he is saying kind of watch out, same-sex marriage is next. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a good topic to cover. What's next? Right. So I think uh, so. there's a few things. Number one is the majority opinion is basically saying, okay, this has nothing to do with the other, uh, other types of freedoms, not to worry. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh, in his concurring opinion, he specifically says, by the way, that, you know, your right to travel is not going to be infringed upon. So it's almost saying like, hey, if you need to travel from South Carolina, North Carolina to get abortion, that's okay." So he seems to be trying to quell the the um, punch and the sting of this. Uh, But I think don't let anything like any nobody should be fooled by any of this. Meaning, I think I, if I was, I mean, I think we should worry about same-sex marriage. I, I do. I think that's the that's a, a real concern. I also want to point out that um, it's funny how Clarence Thomas doesn't mention uh, interracial marriage. Yeah. Loving versus Virginia, which the majority opinion actually, so Alito gives a string of cases that Casey relied upon, which was Loving versus Virginia, and then a bunch of other cases, I think like the right to marry someone in prison or something. Uh, But the other thing that that, uh, Alito mentions is that the respondents, um, they referred to a string of cases post Casey and one was Obergefell same-sex marriage. So, um, so the the point is like, you know, he's trying to say like, don't worry about these cases, but Clarence Thomas is saying, okay, now we need to start like chipping away at others. Uh, I think that's something that we have to be on notice for the American people do. And I also think we have to start exploring the, religious roots of these decisions right like so this whole idea of same-sex marriage like everything all of these societal issues in the law seem to stem from christianity so it is is this whole idea of what is right and wrong in the bible so 
it's easy to throw this on medicine. It's easy, you know, our South Carolina, I mean, we're in North Carolina, but like I said, we, we cover both. So in South Carolina, you know, our governor will say, uh, what is, I should ask my friend Brian next to me, what does Governor McMaster say? That, that the viability line is at the heartbeat. So he's basically saying like, okay, this is when, you know, this is a kid is a kid and you can't have an abortion then. But that's, <laughs> the that to me is religion, right? So like they're, they're, they're couching it. The words they're saying is science and medicine, but really the fundamental issue is religion. So we need to be aware of these, these religious arguments more so than I think we've been acknowledging. I think that I think the American people just don't acknowledge that like so much of all of this is rooted in religion. I, I completely agree. I think I will also say that when we when we talk about religion and the I guess like the prevalence, I should say, of Christianity in, in the back of our minds, I really think it's in the American psyche. I don't think we call it out, but I will say that like when Biden was elected, even his speech, like his like I've been elected, like, like, I'm so happy. Thank you for your vote. That speech, that acceptance speech, basically. I was kind of alarmed at how much he referenced God and like how like we're one nation under God. And that's even part of our Pledge of Allegiance. We like went to school saying that every single day, one nation under God, all of our coins, our dollar bills, everything says in God we trust. It's there. It's in the courthouse, the courthouse. Everything's about God. And like, I mean, uh, on some level, that's like fine because it doesn't say who's God. It doesn't say like a Christian God specifically, but we know it's referencing Christianity. And and I also think that like, even to this day, like those things are legacy. But I think the fact that I was uncomfortable with Joe Biden's speech, frankly, I was like, it's almost like he is appealing to that heartland demographic, the one that we like forget about when he's like- Well, I think that's the confusion in this country is because even these like Catholic Democrats, because they're Catholic, they have issues with abortion. Mm-hmm. See, abortion is like, it's a tough, it's, it's, it's tough for some people. Yeah. I think it's, it's fine that it's tough for people. Frankly, like it's tough for me too. I I am also confused about like, is the heartbeat, you know, like I think it's, it's tough for me too, but I think ultimately it comes down to like, what can the state deny as like legality? Like if, and if, if my Christianity or my religion impacts my perception of what is life, that's up to me to make the decision on like what I can do with my life. Right. I think it's more about how far are we willing to go to let the religious argument come into like the law. And I think like if, if as a country we say we are like, you know, like separating church and state, literally that expression, separating church and state, we're not separating it. We're kind of like always like letting it intertwine a little bit and um, maybe like far less than a lot of other countries in the world, but we still are. So, so I think like that's, that's the confusion then, which is like, why are we letting that happen? If one of the principles of the country was that it's all going to be separate. I think things have gotten, I mean, this is a wake up call. Yeah. This is a wake up call. So uh, I think it's finally, you know, even whatever we're talking about it, Cable news is constantly talking about it. I think people have to just stop talking and go and vote. Do something, yeah. Yeah, and vote. Okay. 
Um, and you have to vote for the right people, like the people who are all really going to fight for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also think that if you, if people who people who really care about this don't like just because you're in and not you specifically but like it's like someone who's in new york or in california or in what are the other like new jersey um basically the only three states i associate with in this country yeah i mean don't take it for granted if you care then act like you care so seema thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate you taking the time it has been so much fun thanks for having me of course. And let our followers know uh, where they can follow you and find out more about you. I'm only on Twitter at Seema I-R-E-S-Q. That's it. Cool. cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, as you know, please follow us on at cultured or not on Instagram. And I guess also on Twitter. Um, and if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Shamnam Galati. Thanks for listening. Bye.